Good evening, and welcome you back. Hope that you all stopped by Chick-fil-A this afternoon some point. Helped yourself to a spicy chicken sandwich. As we begin tonight's lesson, I want to ask you this. Have you ever led, led your family, husbands? Have you led in your business? Have direct reports, people that you are over, technically? You lead at church? Oh, I don't just mean ministry or our shepherds, but have you led a committee or a group or a project or a ministry of some type? Ministry is not easy. Certainly, leadership is not easy. Uh, there's an old joke about, I don't want to be in charge. Because the first thing that happens when something goes wrong is somebody says, who's in charge? Who's responsible for this? Uh, tonight's lesson is about leadership and thinking about that from a biblical perspective. We are on Sunday nights talking about God's amazing grace. And I kind of wanted to talk about God's provision of grace toward his leaders. And how we might think of that for ourselves and possibly those that we serve under um, in whatever capacity that might be. I've titled my lesson, Please Send Someone Else, which I think is uh, one of the most hilarious commentaries on leaders, uh, of course, that Moses gave. We're going to be in the book of Exodus tonight, if you want to open your Bibles there. Exodus chapter 3 is not the key text, but... It gives us some context. Um, the story of Exodus, as a Sunday night would certainly be, crowd would certainly know, begins with the story of the Israelites and how their position had changed so much from when we left them 400 years earlier at the end of Genesis. And instead of being recognized as descendants of Jacob and Joseph, uh, these this new situation finds them in slavery, being oppressed. The Israelites were in slavery. Now, one of those Israelites uh, was not in slavery. He found himself in royalty because of some well, circumstances that I believe were providentially made to happen. And Moses was no ordinary child, as the Scriptures say. He was raised in royalty. He was... Uh, his mother was paid to raise him, essentially, which is good work if you can get it. Um, and then in uh, <clears throat> mid, midway through chapter 2, uh, Moses commits murder, and so he's a fugitive on the run. And he faces holy fire, and that's where we're going to begin. And we're in Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read, starting in verse 1. Now... Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. <clears throat> so Moses thought, oh, well, I'll go over and see this very strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, <clears throat> Moses, Moses. 
And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land at that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And up to this point, I'm imagining Moses is nodding and reverently, and, uh, well, yes, this, this all, you're right. This sounds like a good plan. Uh, I'm right there with you, Lord, until maybe verse 10. So now, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Uh, that's where Moses, and certainly I've, I had been in Moses' position, might have said, well, uh, hold on just a second, Lord. Uh, I know that you are all-knowing and all-powerful. I have no argument with that. I believe you're the God of my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But... And this is um, then where God begins to get into an argument with God, a, a back and forth maybe, maybe not an argument, but just a list of objections. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Our key text is Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. I skipped over a section there, but we'll get back to it. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? And the Lord said to him, What's in your hand? Staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground. It became like a snake. And he ran from it. And then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail, which... It's just God pushing Moses' buttons there. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then, the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back in his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And the Lord said, If they do not believe you, or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs, or listen to you, take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, (laughs) Pardon your servant, Lord. Again, very reverent, respectful. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servants. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? 
Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you and speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as though, as if he were your mouth, and if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. When we break down chapter 3 and chapter 4, and we see several things in the objections of Moses and the answers of God. The first is, uh, in chapter 3, verse 11, this is the part that we skipped over, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God answers, verse 12, God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Uh, the first thing is, Moses says, who, who am I? I mean, I'm just a nobody. I mean, there, there's, I'm sure out of all the Israelites that there are, there's surely there's some guy, there's some other Israelite who's risen to the top of the ranks of the servants, who's better equipped, who's more eloquent, who has better connections. Who am I? And God's answer to that is interesting. He does not get into the discussion about who Moses is. But instead he says, I will be with you. You don't have to worry about who you are. Just know that I am going to be with you. This is chapter 3, verse 13 now. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? Then, what shall I tell them? They said, well, Who do I say sent me? You say you're with me. Who are you? Who is your name? What is, that's a, a natural question to ask. They haven't heard from you in a while. Perhaps there's a whole group of them that do not know you like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or Joseph did. <clears throat> and he says, verse 14, this is again chapter 3, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you, has sent me to you. So he goes back to, he hearkens back to uh, what he's been known as, the, the great I am. Sounds like reasonable answers to Moses' objections, and yet he continues. He, he's reluctant in this. And this is chapter 4, verse 1, the part that we did read. What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. 
All right, all right, Lord, you're going to be with me. And you told me who you are and you told me to tell them who you are. But what if they just don't believe me? What if they don't even listen? John MacArthur uh, has done a lot of work on leadership and written extensively about it. And I've read quite a bit about what he's said. And some of it's very good. And a lot of it has uh, biblical roots, I think. But what's interesting to me is that he says that a leader is very simple. It's a leadership is influence. And a leader is one who influences. So some people try to lead by virtue of their title. I'm the boss. You do what I say. This is my title. But that's not leadership. That's bossiness. And it, it's really actually bad leadership. Um, better leadership is influence. People believe you. People listen to you because of your character. Because of your decision making. Because of your perseverance. Because at... At the end of the day, the people who follow you believe that you have their best interests at heart. If they believe that, you'll be a person of influence. And I believe that's especially true within the kingdom. God has a specific sign, three specific ones that he mentions. He says, if they don't believe you, give them a sign. Um, and he mentions three. First, you can, you can throw your staff on the ground, which we know he did this when he presented himself to Pharaoh. Uh, you can change your hand, the, the, the appearance of the hand from a healthy, healthy hand to a leprous hand and then back. And then you can change the water of the Nile into blood. And we know those signs, um, specifically the one with the Nile, was uh, a, a direct a, a, a frontal attack on their worship of the Nile River. And when, he, when, when, that, when God turned all of that to blood, okay, this was the beginning of that. And there's a higher God than the God you serve. Uh, certainly, Moses was going to have to speak to the Israelites and get their buy-in that he was the leader of them. But beyond that, he was going to have to go speak to the Pharaoh and prove his credentials, if you will. And then, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He essentially says, Lord, I am unable you are calling a guy, you are asking a guy to do something for which he is not equipped. We somehow believe, uh, even today, that God precisely and specifically calls those who are equipped. But actually it's the reverse of that. God is always not worried about the equippedness, the adeptness, the skill set of those whom he calls. But he says, I'm going I'm to equip those who are called instead of worrying about calling those who are equipped, who are able. Do not worry about being unable. Verse 11 and 12, again, the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? 
Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak, and will teach you what to say. Moses' uh, objection here is, I am unable, and God says, I make able. Which I love that. I think every person who has been considered uh, or asked to be in a position of leadership, I mean, almost universally, uh, very naturally, especially within people of faith, there is a natural reaction to say, oh, no, 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 I, I don't really want to lead this. I, I'm not really the person to be the guy, to be the girl, to be someone in charge. I'll help. You know, I will absolutely help, whatever you need there. But I don't really want to lead it. And there, there, there are maybe not those exact objections that Moses gives, but some of them you'll see overlap. Who am I? Uh, what, what qualifications do I have? I'm really unqualified for this. And what's interesting to me is the, the verse 14 of chapter 4. Then the Lord's anger... I'm sorry, we perceive this by reading verse 13. Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. And verse 14, Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him. God doesn't accept any excuses. He says, Aaron's here, you've got the staff, go. What was interesting to me is that God's anger burns against Moses because of his reluctant heart. I mean, he's really not doubting himself here as much as he's doubting God. And yet God is mercifully patient with Moses. And I was thinking about this as kind of reading this back and forth and maybe some lessons we might learn. And I thought, why, why is it that God's, you know, it's, it's the question, it's the unanswerable question, right? It's the why God question. Whenever we get a question on Know Your Bible that starts with why God, we always say, eh, well, <laughs> we're going to give you our best answer, scripturally and otherwise. But you ask us to explain the mind of God, you got the wrong people. Anyone who claims they can uh, is sinning in pride and arrogance and haughtiness. The why God questions are tough. But, you know, preachers sit around and think about things. Why would God pick this guy who's going to argue with him about his own selection and make a list of reasons of why he can't? I mean, just from a human perspective, right? You don't want somebody with the attitude, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. You know, somebody who's going to argue with you about your, your own pick. And the best answer that I can come up with, and I do not say that this is the answer, but the best answer that I could come up with, you remember the, the name Israel, right? How that came from Jacob when Jacob was, what was happening there? He was wrestling with God. The, the name, he who struggles with God. Now Moses... Moses is going to lead. Moses is the guy who's arguing with God, and he's going to lead a group of people who struggle with God. So, like, ideal pick, maybe. Uh, he's the one who gets the struggle, the arguing, the, the, the lack of 
trust. I'm sure God had his own reasons and all of them would be right. But when you think of your own calling, uh, something that God you think is calling you to do, or you've been asked to do, and you put up these same objections. Who am I? What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? I'm unable. I hope you'll remember God's conversation with Moses. Now, this does not mean that he had a perfect time in leading, as we know, and we will not study in great detail tonight, but Moses had a difficult, stiff-necked, hard-hearted people to lead. As we said last week, he led them out of, of Egypt, but it took forever. Even though God got Israel out of Egypt quickly, it took him much longer to get Egypt out of Israel. So they were stubborn. They were stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And so we understand that this truth, that even if God calls you, Leadership is never easy. God's people, generally speaking, have always suffered from a drought of leadership. Um, Isaiah notwithstanding, very few people have, in terms of leadership, here am I, send me. Right? It's, uh, okay, I'll help, but I don't want to be in charge. Why is that? Well... Leading God's people can be a hard thing. God's people can be a hard bunch to lead. First, you have an enemy, and it's not the people you lead. As part of a spiritual battle, leaders are a constant target by the enemy. 100%. No doubt in my mind that those in ministry, those as elders, those who serve as deacons, ministry leaders, are I mean, those are high-value targets from Satan's perspective. He'll go after you. He'll go after your family. He'll go after people that you love. If he, if he doesn't get you by your enemies' attacks, he will abandon you by your friends. And he works. It's real. The second thing is yourself. Every leader, regardless of the confidence that they project, uh, it's lonely, and they question themselves all the time. They question their calling, they question the response of the people or the lack thereof, and their own abilities. I think that meets over with number one. I think the enemy's working there. But there's this battle within the self for every person. It's exponential within leaders. Because leaders have to make decisions, and there's no easy decision. Especially among leaders. I mean, I, can't, I think it was Ronald Reagan's book that I read years ago, and he, someone was asking him the hardest part about being the president, and he said, "Every decision that I make is very difficult. There's downsides to both sides, because all of the easy decisions have already been decided by those beneath me. They bring to me the ones that are hardest." And number three is the critics. Um, if leaders don't have enough self-doubt, they have plenty of people willing to help them do that as well. 
Moses had people, several people, who questioned his leadership many times. Um, Numbers chapter 12 tells the story of two in particular who questioned his leadership. Uh, Their names, Aaron and Miriam. Uh, You might recognize that because God just told Moses how much of a help Aaron was going to be to him. I wish I had time to read through that. Uh, Well, it's Sunday night. It's Easter. You're here. I'm going to read it, okay? Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Oh, that's another fun thing about leadership is your spouse gets uh, unfair criticism. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And and the Lord heard this. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out of the tent of meeting, all three of you. This was just, I don't know, as a parent, we've been there. So the three of them came out. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. You two, come here. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. who He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against the, my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above... The tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Aaron turned and tore, toward her and saw her. she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sins we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother with its flesh half eaten away. And so Moses cried out to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her. That's leadership. I mean, that is just it. Because every leader of any type has always had a fantasy about this happening to their critics. And Moses, here's Moses, and he said, God, heal her. He was very humble, very meek. Um, there are, I mean, I... You say, man, he's, there must be something going on. There's nothing going on. I mean, this is just the text and the story and the, the grace that God gave Moses and that Moses showed to other people, including, by the way, the gripey McGripersons of the world. I mean, Zig Ziglar said, some people find fault like there's a reward for looking for it. I mean, it doesn't matter what happens. It, they're going to gripe about something. Um, <laughs> and, and leaders just have to deal with that. And, and if you're a griping McGriperson and you are, find yourself really good about finding out things that are wrong, one, you probably don't have enough to do. Two, you're sinning against the Lord's anointed. And three, you need to realize you're fighting the wrong battle. You're fighting the wrong enemy. Philippians 2.14, this is something I quote to my children all the time, do all things without complaining or disputing. Uh, you know, Hebrews says, follow your leaders and make their, make their work a joy. You don't know how to do that? Best way, number one, Philippians 2.14, do not complain about anything. I know you can. It's easy to do. 
but why don't you stop it and find something better to do? When I was going through transition, Steve told me one time, uh, he, w- he was doing coaching with me, and um, that was kind of hard, <laughs> um, because I would preach a message, and I, I had poured myself into study, prayer, preparation of a message, and delivered the message that I thought was my best. And Steve was a good coach, and he would say, this went well, and and, and the farther along we did it, he'd give me more things. You need to work on this, you need to do that, and this. Okay, the effective equivalent of that, if you don't understand, if you haven't had to do something like this before, it's like you're expecting a child. And you're waiting for this child, and finally the big day arrives and the child comes, and you're holding this child, this, this precious child, and... And anyone who comes with a critique is effectively saying, your baby's ugly, and I don't like the way you're raising him. It's real hard. And partly because I'm a heart person, not a head person. So it's, it's even Dudley. And Steve, in his wisdom, said to me, he said, you had better get used to criticism if you're going to be in the pulpit. Because you will get a lot of it. I thought, no. (laughs) The people love me. Here's the thing about leaders, and certainly for people in ministry, we love you guys. We're not in ministry for the money. We're not in ministry for the benefits. We're not in ministry for the perks. There are so many other things we do, but we love the Lord and we love His people. And we can't imagine anyone feeling any less the same about us. But Steve was right. And it's not just about preachers. It's all sorts of leaders in the church. Someone once told me, this was a lady who was a Christian. She came out of the world. And she said to me, one thing I've noticed about the church is that sometimes the world is more merciful to its own than Christians are to each other. And for some reason that has stuck with me. So, be merciful. Be merciful. Before I move on, please understand, I'm not preaching to a person or to a problem or to anything going on. I'm just giving my thoughts on leadership and how Moses must certainly have struggled as a leader. Northside as a congregation has been and continues to be a very merciful, kind, patient, persevering congregation of God's people. If nothing else, this is just an encouragement to continue to to be that kind of people. Not just toward your preacher, I mean that'd be awesome, but to your your leaders today and to your leaders tomorrow. To leaders, very quickly. Number one, you have to learn to trust your Father, to to follow His ways and not yourself. Um, Every leader has cheerleaders, people who love you no matter what. 
And, and you're not to follow those people any more than you're to listen to your critics and take what they say to heart. We sang this song just tonight. I don't know if Carl picked it specifically for that, but where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Ladies are going to learn a lot about this here in a couple of weeks. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And I believe that's especially true to those who lead. Number two, you've got to lead in love. You've really got to love those that you lead. It just doesn't work any other way. That's how Moses was able to ask God to heal those who would try to usurp his authority. Because he loved them. 1 Corinthians 13, you know it, but... If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding God or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith can move mountains and do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I would add one more. If I'm a leader of a company or a leader of a church or a leader of a youth group or a leader of a family and, and do everything for them and with them, but do not have love. I lead no one. How do we do that? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envy. It is not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. Love never fails. Number three, you've got to be humble. Pride gets many leaders. It's easy to do. I think the best, and this has sort of, sort of been my mode, but just acknowledge your shortcomings. Because um, you have them. Just as Moses acknowledged his shortcomings, and more of an, and as an excuse really, but it's good for you to realize the areas where you lack. And just be honest about those things. Um. In John chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist famously said, He must increase, I must decrease. The job of leaders is to elevate the Lord, not to elevate yourself. And finally, persevere patiently. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You've got to persevere. Here's the cool thing when you think about it. Hard times, you don't, I mean, if you're in hard times as a leader, eventually that will change. The question is, will you? Your critics, those who are against you, will eventually do one of three things. They will change their heart, they will change their address, or they will die. And they will move on. Persevere. Don't give up. One of Louis Tandy's cool legacies was his perseverance with God's people. I hardly knew. I mean, just a few of you were under his tenure, his influence. But what made him a man of influence was his character, his godliness, and, and 
is perseverance. Did he have critics? Probably. When he did flannel graphs, you know, I'm sure there were some grumpy old curmudge in the back going, don't like this. Jesus didn't use flannel graphs. I mean, I'm serious. But he didn't give up. And why? Because he loved you. And he wanted to lead you. And eventually he knew all those critics would move on. We'll stop there for tonight. Um, I don't know what area of your life God's calling you to lead in, but I want to call you to lead well and not give up even when things get hard. When you're tempted to say, Lord, please send someone else, remember that he called you when he asked you. And when you get discouraged, remember Moses. Remember his example. He was not a perfect man by any means, but he loved the Lord. And in time, he learned to love his people. May we, may we love the Lord as such, and may we learn to lead well. Tonight, if you have a a need, if you have not yet submitted your life to Christ, we'd like to invite you to do that as we do almost every time we worship. And maybe at one time you did that, but you've been led astray. You've ended up on the broad path that leads to destruction. If you need to repent, if you'd like us to pray for you, We'll offer that as well. Whatever you need you might have, if you have one, meet me down front. We'll stand and sing.